Welcome to Real Estate with Reshman Canada with your host, Reshma Sheikh, your mortgage agent, with a mission to help you retire with at least $100,000 of passive income. Each episode features candid conversations with industry experts and real estate investors, revealing the financial strategies that have set them apart and how they are achieving their retirement goals. Let's dive into today's episode. Hello, Anissa. Welcome to my podcast. How are you doing today? Hi, Rashma. It's so great to see you. Thank you I'm so much. How are you? I'm doing great. It's great to see you as well. Would you mind uh, introducing yourself to our listeners? Sure. I'm Anissa Ara. I am a lawyer practicing in Ontario. I also founded a law firm in 2017 and I've been running it ever since. It, the name is ALF LLP. Uh, I currently also have a law partner and other lawyers in Blockworks with me. And gotcha. Is this your own firm? You started with your partner or someone? I started on my own. Wow. I had this idea since law school. Apparently, I kept telling my friends, I need to start my own law firm. I don't even remember. They tell me that I was uh, talking a lot about that. And eventually, I decided to just go for it and mm-hmm. here I am I've been doing it for six years now wow that's amazing how is that experience like uh, because it's also a business right when you start your own business it's completely different than working with uh, another firm like uh, as an associate I guess it is because if you work for someone you only have to worry about doing a good job and going to work at a certain time and living a certain time and meeting the expectations that they set for you. For lawyers, it means usually being good in law, just under, having a good under, grasp of the legal arguments, writing properly, communicating with clients properly, and just advancing in the legal field. Mm-hmm. When you are a business owner, you also have to learn how to bring in clients especially when you're fresh out of law school as I was. Why is someone going to go to you? You have no experience, right? So you have to learn, get experience, and also get clients and how to differentiate yourself. There are a lot of lawyers out there. Why will someone come to you instead of the lawyers 10 kilometers away from here? So it's it's a completely different skill that no one teaches you. There's no course for it. For a lot of people that have made it and they tell you, here's how you should do it. Recover five and do this and attend this coach and talk to this person and read these books. Everything is, is very individualized. It's, yeah, it, there's a lot of, lot of uh, again, as you said, like a lot of books, a lot of mentors, a lot of knowledge, but you yeah. need to put it all together. So not one single person can tell you how to do it because you're going to have a very different journey from someone else yeah exactly like it has to be super tailored like in businesses but so you graduated from law school and you started your own firm you yes oh wow that's amazing and so how did you like make yourself stand out like i know you're a investor focused uh, real estate lawyer right and uh, you also practice law in business and also divorces and uh, what else Civil litigation, construction law, construction liens, disputes between shareholders, disputes between partners. Mm -hmm. We also do some wells. I obviously have a team now that specialize in different areas of law. And I'm the business lawyer and real estate lawyer in the firm. 
especially when it comes to real estate investors, because the client will come to me, I close a house or I close a property and they like the service and they're like, well, I have this business agreement that I am making with this person. We're buying this property together. I made a partnership agreement. So I would do that. Or I'm divorcing now. Yeah. <laughs> Can you help me through that? But we're friendly. So just do the separation agreement. Yeah. Well, I was even really good at criminal law. Mm. But it's different, the theoretical aspect of an area of law and the actual practice of it. Mm. And once I started practicing real estate law, I, I loved it. It was it was fun. It was fast. It's you see the results right away. Yeah, um, I think. Yeah, yeah, each, yeah. Each file might take you like because you are really coming at the end, right? Like probably a couple of days of work, and then you're yeah. with the transaction, right? Yeah, so you're coming right at the end. A lot of the work has already been done. So all you need to do is make sure that. The deal the parties are closing is a deal they wanted to make. Yeah. So doing the due diligence that everything has been done in accordance with their original agreement. So did they actually want the leak in the basement? Did they accept <laughs> it or not? Did, did they understand who was selling the property? Did they understand all the implications from the transaction? Was the agreements with the agents, the broker, was that clear? And obviously searching the titles and make sure that there's nothing there that they will end up with, like a work order or something that they, they don't want to deal with after closing. Yeah. So let's talk about divorces and real estate. Like, so <laughs> hypothetically, if someone, <laughs> hypothetically, if someone is going through a divorce, like I heard like it's 50-50, all the assets are divided 50-50 and uh, matrimonial home is divided 50-50. So is that true? Well, that depends on the length of the marriage and whether the asset was purchased after the marriage. So if you go into a marriage with significant assets, you can deduct those as the value of those assets at the beginning of the marriage. Mm. And the growth of the asset is divided. So the idea behind this is that even if the spouse stays home and does nothing to contribute to your wealth, mm -hmm. there's still a value there. They're maybe raising kids. They're maybe taking care of you. Maybe they're inspiring you. Or maybe they're, they're putting aside their own dreams and wishes to, so you can succeed. So instead of going into the nitty-gritty before as to what happens inside people's home, whether who actually helped and with what, the court just said, you know what, just 50-50 from now on. So whatever assets are bought during the marriage or the growth of the assets that you brought into the marriage are divided 50-50. However, if you want to protect those assets, a lot of my clients will do marriage agreement or prenup, as most people know them, to deduct to not deduct but to uh, have those assets excluded from any uh, family law division of assets okay so one option is for me to avoid that situation is to have a prenup okay and uh, the other one is uh, let's say okay i'm married and i'm going through a divorce and so and i have few assets like even before getting married and i have a business so what happens to the business like do I do 50-50 of the business? 
Yeah. So let's say you have a business like you do now and in the course of the marriage, the business grows and you become a multi-millionaire. Oh, yes. (laughs) Your spouse has a claim to half of your business. Okay. Let's say it went from a 100,000 business to a $10 million business, right? Mm -hmm. So there's most of the value was during the course of the marriage, so they have a claim to it. Claim of 50% or uh, we can negotiate on that percentage? Everything you can definitely negotiate, but if you go to court and you don't agree in any negotiation, usually the court would just equalize everything 50-50 unless there is some unconscionability or some type of argument in court that will, will show that it will not be fair. Gotcha. Which is rare. If your partner understands and you won't cause any problems in the relationship, you can put the business in the prenup saying that the business will remain yours even if the relationship breaks down or the marriage fails. And that way you can protect it. You have a peace of mind that it will not take your business and then hurt it because if you lose 50% of your business you can imagine you can really hurt your business you have to get a loan to pay them out and then encumbers your business so it can what if like I buy my assets in the in under corporation everything you own as a in a corporation as a shareholder yeah um, they are entitled to those shares right? oh, still like there is <laughs> wear on it you can't hide. No. <laughs> <laughs> if they know what you own, you can't hide them. They can access everything shares, pensions, various beings, buildings, personal property. You've seen sometimes couples will just divide like teddy bears or dolls, everything. Right? So, so <laughs> a lot of couples I've seen lately are becoming more reasonable. They will spend a lot of money in family law, so they will negotiate things between them in a in a fair manner. And I always believe that you can agree to a more fair agreement than a court would agree to. Because you understand your situation better. The court will just not want to deal with a lot of details and will just say 50-50 and that may not be fair. Yeah. And it will take a lot of money to get there. thousands of dollars to get all the way to a trial so i highly recommend coming to an agreement and you have to understand that an agreement means that you both will be equally unhappy about the outcomes you have to give up something but it's worth saving Mm. thousands of dollars in legal fees gotcha yeah i actually have a friend and he went through a divorce and uh, he basically sorted out sorted it out outside the court or like even the lawyers were not involved He's like, you're not getting my my matrimonial home. I'll just buy you a new home. Just go stay there and take the kids, feed them. I'll pay the child support. That like just no hassle, right? The court could never come up with that solution. Exactly. This creative solution, the court will not come up with them. So it's it's always better to negotiate. Yeah, that's so that's so true, and also like a lot of a lot of the time, kids are involved, right? Like we have to think about them as well because ultimately, in most cases, what we are earning is to for inheritance or like give it to our kids, right? Ultimately, for most people, yeah, 
Yeah, that's that's what they work hard for, so they can leave something to the kids, a legacy of home. And it's unfortunate sometimes you'll see couples that will engage in bitter divorce proceedings and they don't realize that it affects the children very negatively. And it's important to just settle everything and focus on the children because your relationship is done. But your relationship with the children will continue for life. Yeah. So exactly. Yeah. Let's let's move on from the divorces then. Be yeah. <laughs> happier. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I've seen like uh, even if someone open a corporation, they bring in a JV partner and they do like GPLB structure or maybe shareholder structure, and they just uh, buy properties that way, right? And scale their portfolio mm-hmm. that way. Yeah, but it, so that that corporation then will after a few years, that corporation will have its own income. Uh-huh. Right. So once the corporation, you can provide two, three years of financial statements and the corporation has their own credit worthiness. So they can be approved on their own. Mm. Like for example, like my business can borrow, can be a borrower on its own, whether or not I'm, whether or not the bank will, would give me money, right? Because the company has money, for example, right? Yeah. Or a person has a restaurant or a new company that was just incorporated. They have no assets. They have no money. So they're worth nothing for the bank. You can yes. easily dissolve a company. Yeah. Right? It's yeah. more difficult to declare bankruptcy than just dissolve a corporation and say, well, I can't pay it. So <laughs> yeah. they can go after it. Right. So they have, they usually take personal guarantees from shareholders because these new companies, you can create them and close them very easily. Mm, exactly so like uh all the banks like when when i do self-employed individuals or like for business owners like a mortgage they we always ask for articles of incorporation and uh, t1 generals or and also like uh, we need two years of statements business statements not two years we need six, latest six months of business statements but we need two years of returns mm. yeah exactly uh, history. Yeah. It's all about trust. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, uh, they say the bank will only give you money if you don't need it. But if you really need it, you're not getting it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was I was working for, for clients that had a lot of closings and they're buying a man. I'm like, how like they seem to have unlimited sense. Like, how is this possible? And then I would see that they would close on one property and then refinance it or or maybe you can refinance right away because you got a mortgage you closed mm-hmm. it but there would be like some type of project like they would be constructing that so they would get a construction loan so there's extra money or they would have previous properties they would refinance usually through a private loan get mm-hmm. some money and then take that money and put it into another property buy that property <laughs> and then close it with the bank and then get a private mortgage and use it to buy another property. And it was just this leveraging of, and at that time, where now is not the best time for real estate, but at that time, real estate was just like, like within months, property was growing in value. So you can pull money out right away from mm-hmm. the equity. So this was like so interesting for me. And not a lot of people outside of the real estate world understand how to leverage this capital to get cash out of it and purchase more capital and then more and more. And it's just, it looks to outsiders as if you're so incredibly wealthy, but you're just borrowing money. 
<laughs> these <laughs> properties and putting it into other properties. And you just have all this debt, but you also start building some assets because there is also some leftover. So you obviously will start with some type of cash from your own, and then it keeps growing that way. And I realized the power of borrowing money. Mm. It's how, that's how you create wealth, mm. by borrowing. And I grew up with parents who thought borrowing is bad, and they didn't want to own uh, owe anybody any money. And you create this idea that debt is bad, but there's actually good debt. And it's a debt that you invest. So if you borrow it, let's say, at 5%, but you loan it out at 12, you're making money. That's good yeah. debt. Right. Yeah. So real estate at certain times grows really fast. So if you borrow and usually if though the times are those are good times and the bank will lend you money at lower interest rate. So you get something at three percent, four percent, five percent, but real estate grows at twelve, then it's a no brainer. Put it into real estate, right? Exactly. Well, until real estate yeah. starts dropping. But in the long run, I think prices always go up and appreciating value real estate appreciates so as long as you're able to weather those short-term ups and downs you should be fine so um, at at that at that time when i was starting my own firm i had i had invested in pre-construction about two years ago and around that time right before well it wasn't the same time I invested when I started the firm, but about two years later, before COVID, I think right before COVID, the property was finished construction and was ready to move in. And I closed it, but the property had increased in value by about, I think, 200,000 or 300,000. So I was able to close. I had already put in a lot of the money because you pay them through the years. Yeah. Right, so I only needed a small down payment to close. Mm-hmm. I took a bigger mortgage based on the. I took a private loan based on the current value instead of the purchase value, and right. I used that money. <laughs> yeah, because let's say it was let's use small numbers. Let's say it was purchased at three hundred thousand. It's in Toronto, so there was no way it was three hundred thousand. <laughs> but by the time I closed, it was worth five hundred. So you have. Already made two hundred thousand dollars, right? So you can get that money out, and I use it to buy another property. Yeah. So we have the I have a same product as well. I think a couple of lenders uh, in this space uh, play with that particular product, uh, especially with that pre constructions. And so again, with your numbers, if you bought it with three hundred, if that's the purchase price, Mm -hmm. and if it is appraised. and uh, over the over the next two years, it's appraised for five hundred thousand dollars. And uh, as long as we get that appraisal report for that five hundred, I can get you eighty percent loan to value for yeah. that five hundred five hundred k. And it's not pri- it's not even private lending. It's private lender. It's a B lender, and yeah. uh, the premium or the interest rate is like. 0.5 or like one percent higher than a lenders so it's a really like fair product i feel like and also yeah like that that 80 percent loan to value cannot be like more than purchase price and uh, you can potentially get refunded all your deposits and uh, you can just recycle yeah. that money right yeah yeah it was and i was fairly new to that so i was like wow this is amazing and, and more people should do it 
And I saw a lot of people struggling and renting for life and can't save money for the down payment. But the pre-construction could really solve that because you're putting in money slowly. Mm-hmm. And usually most people are able to to make the deposit. And by the time, sometimes they take four years to yeah. finish this pre-construction property. So by that time, the property would have gone out in value. Yeah, exactly. And uh, sometimes uh, pre-con makes sense. Like uh, in your case, uh, you just started your business. And again, you don't have two years probably to show your income. Like uh, mm-hmm. if you go to a bank, they'll ask for two years of returns, right? And in that in that scenario, I think uh, pre-con makes sense. By the time uh, you close it, like uh, you have your financials in order and the bank is like, oh, okay, everything looks good. Like we'll give you a loan on that, right? Yeah, yes. Yeah, so that that's how I started my journey. However, timing is also important. The real estate was really good at that time. Right now, I am seeing clients struggling to close on their pre-construction properties. They have actually gone down in value mm. because they were sold during the pandemic mm. when properties were really high, and now and now they're they're not appraised. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's the problem I'm seeing too. So if someone bought a property for let's say a million dollars, and right now it's not appraising for that million dollars anymore, like it was appraising when you bought it, like one or two years ago. Right now, the appraisals are coming in anyway. Sometimes hundred grand, two hundred grand less. Like if you got your appraisal at nine hundred thousand dollars, you have to come up with rest of the difference of hundred thousand dollars from your own pocket. Yeah, and. Uh, that is a problem. That's why a lot of people are walking away from their pre-constructions and uh, they're uh, willing to assign it even uh, even by losing their deposits. But mm-hmm. what's happening is even though people are, even though like all these people are assigning with uh, like by losing their deposits, the end consumer is not buying it because the resale the resale market is like again very discounted like they're like we'll just buy resale price resale homes why do we have to buy like new construction that's one part and another part is uh, again even if you are losing the deposit whoever is buying that assignment sale still have to come up with the difference of that appraisal report right and yeah. they don't have that kind of cash and there's just a lot of things right now going on in that uh, pre-con and assignment. Yeah. The reason I said it is because I don't want people to think that this is like like the gold rush, you know? Like you still have to think about things thoroughly before you invest, especially you put in a lot of money when you're buying real estate. Obviously understand the risks and take some measured and educated risks when it comes to investing and obviously do not put all your savings into real estate unless you really believe in it but i don't recommend it it can be a great way to build wealth it's probably one of the surest ways to build wealth but it does come with its own risks and you need to you need to understand them and maybe talking to professionals like you yeah (laughs) yeah it's very important before you make the decision Exactly. And obviously, like a lot of people didn't see the market we came into, right? Like one part of it is, yeah, appraisals are coming in low. That's one part. And the other part of it is like they're not qualifying because of the, you know, interest rate hikes right now. But uh, all I can suggest you is, suggest someone is uh, like, if you're buying a pre-construction, don't go into that with a goal that, okay, I'm going to assign it someday. 
go into that uh, with multiple exit strategies right maybe you want to you make sure that you can close on it right someday when you, when the closing comes or maybe you, you want to move into the property or maybe you want to keep it as a rental property or maybe you want to assign it like always have that multiple exit strategies even when you're buying precon but, uh, yeah yeah that's that's very important Assignment sales aren't easy because a lot of builders won't allow an assignment. They won't allow you to list. Even if they allow the assignment, you have to find the buyer through your own resources. So you have to understand that most likely you will have to close or even lose a deposit. And then after that, you can do whatever you want. But yeah, understanding that they can, what the exit strategies are and what the, what time and how possible they are and for every particular project yeah when you bought your pre-construction what kind of due diligence have you done like what did you like look into the project what steps did you take to buy that to be honest like i was still in law school (laughs) (laughs) and i did not do any due diligence i just saw that it was in a great location that it was growing Mm-hmm. was very close to the distillery district. So, and I saw the plans, it looked great. So I was like, I will, I'll, I'll buy it. I love it. And a lot of my friends, not a lot, but some of my friends also purchased mm-hmm. in the, in the property. And at some point we lived close by, like in the same building. So it was fun because I lived there for a year. Mm-hmm. But I did not do any due diligence. Now I will read every agreement for the client. I will tell them everything. But I'm surprised how when I bought for myself, I just signed in the dotted line and did not look back. Oh, it, it turned <laughs> out that it was it was a good investment. But normally you should read because these agreements are made for the builder, are very skewed in favor of the builder. They may have clauses there that you don't want to take on. You need to know that on closing of a pre-construction, there will be amounts added on the final price that is not included in the price. So for a resale, you know, like price is 1.2 million, you have paid the deposit subject to any property tax adjustment or if it's a condo, condominium fees, you know what you will pay plus land transfer tax. Yeah. In pre-construction, there will be an HST rebate added on top of it because you are giving it to the builder you're not getting it mm. so that's twenty four thousand uh, dollars yeah if well and then development fees i think uh, it's capped at uh, ten thousand dollars like i don't know twenty four thousand the hst rebate so yeah. if you're not going to live in the property and investment property you're not getting that from your builders yeah. which so has to be added on top of a purchase price then you have tyrion and you have development charges and you have all kinds of charges meter utilities uh, all of these things that are included in the agreement some of the amounts are missing that they are added on the purchase price on on the closing on the amount you're closing yeah and people look at the number they're like what that's not what i calculated but when i tell them from the beginning that this is what you'll end up paying then they're prepared and some of them can actually negotiate the development charges becoming more common now to cap them with a builder at zero, which was 
unheard of before. Yeah. Before it used to be, I will cap them at 10,000. Now the builders are negotiating more because the market isn't great. <laughs> and I've seen with few builders that they start charging occupancy fees. And like, uh, that's um, a lot. Like, some I've seen a builder was one of my friend uh, bought a precon and uh, she started getting charged for. $6,000 per month and for I don't know how long we don't have closing date yet and she's, she's still paying that uh, occupancy fee we just don't know for how long so yeah so this bothers people a lot my clients some of them that don't understand they'll they'll be like well I don't own the property and I don't want to move in why do I have to pay this amount to the builder they're not ready to, mm -hmm. to transfer title to me why are they forcing me to occupy the property and pay them this occupancy it's because it's part of the agreement mm. that you sign and once you know that from the beginning then you're prepared for it once the property is ready for occupancy your unit every unit gets completed at a different mm. stages of the project and different times it's going to be a few months before it's say units one to 10 are finished and then 20 to 25. Mm -hmm. So at that time the unit is finished, but you'll see that outside the landscaping isn't finished and then things, some things aren't done yet. And it's like, you're going into the property and it's like you have finished lobby, mm -hmm. but your unit is done. You have to take possession of the property. Mm -hmm. And in order for you to get the HST rebate, either you or a family member needs to occupy. If you rent it out, you're going to lose the HST rebate. Mm. I mean, you can claim it later from the CRA, which we can do that for the client, but the builder will not give it to you on closing and you have to come up with it on closing. Yeah. And, and the builder will pay, will force you to pay interest rate in, on the unpaid amount owed, owing on closing. Mm. Prorated property taxes and utilities. And clients ask, they're like, why am I paying the builder interest if I can't pay you? So I can't pay you the closing amount because you can't give me title, but you want interest on this amount? <laughs> it's crazy if you think about it. Yeah. And, and there is a way out of it. And it only happens when you sign the agreement. You can tell, you can elect when you sign the agreement with the builder that you will pay the closing funds once in trust with the builders and to the builder's lawyer mm. on occupancy closing. The way you don't have to pay any interest uh, interest rate. However, this is only achievable by people who have cash and money because you're not able to take a mortgage on this property. So you have to come up with a balance due on closing. And also I've seen like, uh, especially in uh, like stacked townhouses or like townhouses, like you, if you want to rent out, you have to use their property management. And also, if you want to do Airbnb, like there are restrictions now. Mm -hmm. um, the management, I'm like, oh, wow. Like you have to check all this. Like, why do we have yeah. to use property management? These are bylaws. Yeah, you, you, you're supposed to read them. People don't understand how limited you are. Once you live in a condo, you are buying the common elements. Mm -hmm. You are sharing the common elements and you're sharing this condominium corporation it's like the shares in this corporation with the other owners so there are rules that you have to abide and they're in the bylaws and in different documents different condo documents and you have to abide by them and if you if pets aren't allowed mm. 
what are you going to do? Right. And you have a big dog that you've had in the family for 10 years and you suddenly can bring your dog because there's a bylaw and you need to know that that's not the property for you. Or if you're on an Airbnb, which can be very lucrative, mm. but the condo doesn't allow you need to know. Yeah, I didn't know they won't allow pets in. That's why uh, in my condos, I have never seen a huge dog. There were always like tiny, tiny dogs and the cats. It's probably in the bylaws. Like, only this. Uh, yeah. Sizes are allowed. <laughs> yeah. Weight and size, I guess. Oh, wow. That's a lot of limitation. But uh, honestly, like, uh, I had a few clients who bought reconstruction and. Uh, when I asked them to, oh, yeah, send me the documents, send me the APS. The APS is like 300 pages long. I'm like, oh, my God, what am I le- reading? Just tell me what's the purchase price so that I can get you a loan for you. <laughs> well, see, that's so with experience, because I read so many of them. I, knew exa- I know exactly where to look, so I can read them much faster. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's important you, you ask the lawyer to do it mm-hmm. because we know what to look for a lot of the language is just standard language and the moment we just see the paragraph we know what it says yeah and we can also read the bylaws and all those and the status certificate to understand better what's going on it's important to know because you can be blindsided i bought a condo and i wanted to airbnb it and it got booked so fast and i had no idea it was not allowed oh it circulated it got booked so fast like for the full month and i was loving it and then they sent me a letter mm-hmm. that you're Airbnb and you're not allowed it. So I had to cancel all these yeah. listings and they're going to charge you fees. So it, was, it just turned into a nightmare. But if it was allowed, it would have been a great business for some. Yeah, I think uh, in whole Toronto, downtown, downtown, I think there are about 10 to 12 condos which allow Airbnb. That's it. Out of all these condos, 10 and 12. I don't know why. I don't know why there's restrictions because I haven't seen any problems coming from people Airbnb. Yeah, you know why? Because of a housing crisis, they think that uh, if they stop doing Airbnbs, they think that uh, we'll give chance to tenants, a long-term tenant to come and occupy it. But I don't think uh, stopping short-term rentals is the solution for the housing crisis for some reason. No, it is building more. <laughs> yeah, building more properties, not stopping Airbnbs. Yeah, yeah. I actually got, I, I got like in a cu- couple of clients or in a couple of scenarios. Again, they bought a pre-con and they told me, oh, this is the purchase place. And when I ran numbers, like during like very preliminary stages, just like uh, Rishma, like uh, can you see like if you are qualifying that uh, qualifying for uh, this amount based on our income? I'm like, yeah, good to go. Like send me the documents. And once they send me the documents and I open the APS, and uh, again, as you said, like we know what to look for after seeing all the charges. I'm like, that's not the number. Like you, it's actually sixty grand more than what you what the purchase price is after all the you added parking you added locker and you added kitchen supply kitchen cabinets stuff like that and uh, now your purchase price is this much and they're mm-hmm. like yeah they kind of are like oh wow really then <laughs> that's a lot of money for some people they're they're seeing this because the lawyer is closing it and let's say a couple of weeks before we see they will notify us like a month in advance at most of the closing date it's mm-hmm. hard for people to come up with 60 grand 
Mm-hmm. In a month, they start yeah. borrowing from family and friends, but it's not a good position to be. So it's good to know in advance or say, you know what, this condo is not for me because I'm not, I don't have the kind of cushion or the, those kind of reserves, financial reserves. You can get another condo where the terms are, are different or better for you. So I've never bought a pre-con, but when someone is buying a pre-con, the whole terms and condition and the agreement is solid from day one when they got into agreement or they develop during the closing. I feel like <laughs> they develop over time. No, that agreement is the four corners of your agreement with the builder. Now, mm-hmm. from time to time, they may send you le- amendments to the agreement or letters. Yeah. I had I had a case when the builder was struggling to finish the construction. So they were going around actively begging people. We're going to send you this amendment to change the deposit structure. Please put more money. You will help all of us. Mm-hmm. And I told the client, you don't have to sign it. Mm-hmm. The agreement supersedes. That was a deposit structure. It is honestly the builder's problem that they can't finish the construction. And it doesn't create a lot of confidence in the buyer that this builder can't finish it and it's more money. Mm-hmm. So maybe just get out of the agreement completely because this is not a good builder. And who knows, maybe the property won't be constructed in in the best manner because they may cut corners, right? Because if they don't have enough cash. Now, this was my, this was my understanding, uh, but the clients were scared. Like, why? Why do we have to put in more money? This was in the agreement. And yeah, that's the only agreement. Sometimes it will try and trick it to sign amendments. Don't sign them. So what if, uh, okay, what if uh, I bought a pre-con and the builder sent an amendment saying that uh, the closing date is moved four months after now. And also, you know, the layout is different now. And what you saw in the beginning, it's it's probably like 800 square feet with the windows or whatever. Now the layout is different probably with the same space this happens right so will the buyer have a like can he walk away from that agreement because because of all the amendments which happened so you always have to go back to the actual agreement right they have the days that are in the agreement they have days that are there's a tentative closing there's a firm closing there's outside occupancy closing and there are notice deadlines Mm. now the first tentative closing can be two years before the ox- the outside occupancy closing, which is the day that you can terminate the agreement. Mm-hmm. And so they give themselves usually a lot of range, a lot of time to close. Mm-hmm. Right? And rarely they will go outside those limits. But if they're asking for an amendment, then they're trying to make a new agreement. If they're sending you a notice, Closing has been pushed because of delays. Mm-hmm. You always check the deadline. If it's within those timelines, then they have the right. Again, those agreements are in favor of, build, of the builder. So they probably have reserved all of the rights there. Mm-hmm. But if they're asking, please sign this so we can close on this day, then they don't have the right. They're asking you to agree to something that will limit your rights. Don't do it because you can get compensation from Tarion for delayed occupancy. You can get out of the agreement if it was a bad deal. And with respect to your other question, I think you asked about what, what if the layout is different? The layout. And I had a case exactly like that when it was a condominium, but in Muskoka, like a cottages mm-hmm. type of condominium. And the 
it turned out that there was a big window missing that was key. So you would overlook the deck of this property and they would see the foliage and the beautiful scenery and it was just wall. So the client was like, this is not nice at all. Like, where's my window? This was key. And they had reserved the right in the agreement to change the layout. Mm. But the builder sort of understood because they would have an ongoing relationship. This was a vacation home and they had some sort of create some sort of club for this property and the the owners would have to be members. So they agreed to offer some type of price reduction for the change. But apparently could not build the window there. It was some type of risk. Yeah. So it all depends on the agreement. They would give the right in the agreement that the final construction will be different from the plans. And they don't say how different. So you may want to go back and say, well, can I put in here it can be different as long as this thing is there. It's very important to me, right? Like I need big windows, right? So you can negotiate this agreement up to a point. And uh, if the builder doesn't agree, then it's up to you what you want to do. But if you have it in there, you can really mm. like save yourself a lot of money on closing. You can either get out or request a price reduction. So I ha- I recently like talked with a client. He have a uh, exact same issue that the layout is like completely different, and uh, he basically said that uh, I wanna get out. And then sometimes these agreements like builders pay a lot to get right get these agreements written from a very solid lawyers, and the language is very ambiguous. Yeah. <laughs> The buyer might not have a chance to get out of the even get out of the agreement, even if the layout is a little different. They have to negotiate, right? Yeah, it's very annoying when you read them and you're like, oh my God, they really did allow themselves so, so much room to change things around. But still, as a lawyer, I will try and like find ways to interpret the language by like tying it to different paragraphs in the agreement and representations made by the builder and the intention of the parties to come to a different meaning right that for for these clients this windows based on all of this other stuff this was the understanding this window was real important so they agreed they they did negotiate it down but they negotiated down quite a bit by by the language alone it was it they could they could do that so it was yeah. like, I'll try, but it seems like the lawyers yeah. are saying that they can do that and we're just going to do our best. In the end of the day, you try and try because builders want to sell. They don't want to have unsold units. They don't want to go back and sell to other parties. So you can negotiate quite a bit at that stage, but again, have reasonable expectation. I have a client now who wants to lower the price by 300000 I'm like this. <laughs> I don't know. Like it's just this builder will be would have lost his mind to agree to this price reduction because they can sue you and it's okay. Yeah, it's always where on did like negotiating maybe like uh, getting out of the contract might be not your option, but uh, you can always like negotiate and. Uh, obviously give, reach out to Anissa and if someone wants to reach out to you, Anissa, like how, how, how can they do that? If they need to reach out to me, uh, I will send you the details so you can 
write them on the website on on the link of this podcast or the reel that you're sharing or the video (laughs) but if they go to alfllp.ca they will find me there and there is a contact form they can just submit Mm -hmm. or they can just download the aura app on their phones google either google play or app store a-r-r-a or actually we have sorry we have renamed it to ALF app. It used to be the R app. I think it still might come up, but it's the ALF app. And uh, you can just reach out to us through the app. You got your own app on your own name. So, <laughs> yeah, I'll put those uh, details in the show notes. If someone wants to reach out, they can definitely like go there. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast, Anisa. It's very nice thank chat you. with you. It was it was wonderful chatting with you and I look forward to seeing you at another event in person. I know we hit it off right away. I know. <laughs> Mad. Yeah. Hopefully I I will see you again soon. Yeah, we'll definitely run into each other at another event. <laughs> right? Yes. Thank you for tuning into another episode of Real Estate with Reshma in Canada. If you are looking to purchase a home and wondering what you are qualifying for. You have a mortgage renewal coming up and you're looking for a second opinion. Maybe you are planning to do a refinance to pull out equity to buy another investment property. If you want to finance your split project, we would love to help you fund, experience our complimentary budget planning and tailored solutions. Until next time, keep learning, keep growing.